Good afternoon. Today is October 4th, 2022, and we are back here for our live podcast. Today we are interviewing our participant. Her name is Megan. Megan, I'll let you go ahead and, and introduce yourself to our viewers and who you are and what you do. So my name is Megan, obviously. Um, I have a bachelor's in health science. I have a bachelor's in public health. And I have a master's in public health with a focus of uh, infectious disease epidemiology. I currently work as a clinician for a nonprofit servicing the HIV community, substance use disorder, as well as LGBTQ and the houseless community. That's incredible. What an accomplishment. That's amazing. Good for you. We're getting there. there. (laughs) Congratulations. There's a doctor on her way to uh, helping everyone out. (laughs) Um, So our first question. Slowly but surely. Slowly but surely, but you will get there. Um, So our first question is, where do you see the need for more rehab centers for patients who need help with opioid misuse? So I spent the last almost 15 years uh, working at Wyndham Hospital in the emergency department. Obviously, we have a lot of substance use disorder um, in just that little city. So there is a significant amount of outreach work that is done there. However, in the surrounding towns that are more rural and even like northeastern Connecticut, there's nothing. Okay. There's outpatient centers where some primary care providers, you know, will have a harm reductionist approach and be comfortable prescribing methadone or um, suboxone, but it is rare in this area. Okay. Which can be very frustrating for a lot of patients who want to seek, you know, um, medication-assisted treatment or inpatient or outpatient detox because they don't have the resources here, they don't have the transportation, they, they aren't able to access that care. Right. So rural rural areas is really where our primary focus should be. Absolutely. I think the um, overdose rate has almost quadrupled um, in con- and it's not, you would typically see it, you know, decades ago. It is spread, obviously, throughout this, this state. Okay. And do you feel that rehab programs are being personalized to meet the needs of patients who have opioid misuse? I think that they're getting better. Um, the agency that I work with, they do a very much um, harm reduction, pure navigator approach where they meet patients and clients where they are in their disease. Prior to this, I think it was kind of a a one size fits all, which obviously didn't work with a 12 step program, um, you know, inpatient detox centers. Some people aren't ready to completely stop and that's not necessarily meaning that they're not sober. So I think it's getting better, but we obviously have a long way to go to treating this disease. Okay. And how do you feel about the quality of services that are being provided to these people who are suffering from opioid misuse? Uh, Again, I think it's getting a little bit better. Um, There are still obviously providers who are very hesitant to prescribe methadone and suboxone and do not take a harm reductionist, you know, kind of approach to their care with primary care. And it's frustrating, I think, for a lot of people who deal with this disease because they don't feel like they're being met where they are and they're not being heard. And when they come into the emergency department and, you know, they have an overdose, it used to be prior, we would watch them for two hours, make sure that they didn't need Narcan again, and they would be 
just thrown back onto the street. Now there is a program in Connecticut. There's several programs. It's uh, the Connecticut Center of Addiction Recovery, and they have peer navigators and recovery coaches who come out to the ER. They're dispatched. They're on call from like seven in the morning till about midnight, I think it is, Monday through Sunday. And they will come out and they are all um, have some and are living their sober life. And so they come out and they speak with patients and see where they're at and offer them, you know, places to go for detox, people that they could seek meetings for. They do housing, they do job placement training, they do meetings in their offices in Willimantic. I think there's one in Hartford. I think there's one in Manchester as well. And we've seen such a success rate with like decreasing the recidivism of overdoses that are happening because, you know, people aren't obviously going to want to get, and I hate to use the word clean, after they are administered Narcan because now they're completely in withdrawal. Right. So it's difficult for them to see that there is, you know, a, a different way to live your life when they're in active withdrawal. Okay. Like it, it's it's painful mentally, physically, and they give them resources and, and their own numbers to contact and they stay in contact with them for months after this. Mm-hmm. And they have access to detox centers. Um, they do all the legwork with getting people admitted. So sometimes we'll hold them overnight just to make sure that they're medically clear. And they will come and send a driver and pick them up from the ED and bring them to detox. Okay. All right. So do you feel that our healthcare system is in fact up to date on providing care to patients with opioid misuse? Absolutely not. I think there are still so many providers that view this as a choice. Okay. Um, When it comes to addiction, you know, like I think it's 68% of people who suffer with this have had some sort of um, trauma in their childhood or they suffer with uh, mental health diagnoses as well as substance use. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in looking at it in a harm reduction kind of seat is offering people one-to-one, like, intensive outpatient ther- like therapy. Right, yeah. It's not just medication. It's not obviously just one size fits all. Like with any disease, there's different facets and different avenues in how to treat something, and it doesn't just work for one person. It doesn't mean it's not going to work for another. So most interviews that I've been doing with all my t- participants are really talking about universal health care system. Do you find that the United States is, in fact, behind in our health care system with regards to universal health care? Oh, 100%. Okay. And I think that's one of the biggest issues that I see with, with patients and even my own um, is that insurance doesn't cover unless you have certain types of insurance, private insurance, some will only take Medicaid to get into these types of facilities, to see these types of primary care doctors, they don't cover it. So when you're living in active addiction and you're unable to work and you're houseless, it's beyond frustrating. Mm -hmm. And having just even access to healthcare like so many other countries do and not having that be a factor so that way you can concentrate on working through your disease or working on getting, you know, an apartment or getting through school or a job, it's one less thing that you're battling. I agree. Absolutely. Definitely agree with um, us being behind on the healthcare system. I am a true believer in universal healthcare myself. Um, Absolutely. I mean, we're already paying for it as it is with our premiums so high. We're paying for when people don't have insurance. We're solving that. And that's why our insurance is so expensive as it is. Yes. I'm sure you see that firsthand. I know I see that firsthand. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yes. 
So do you feel that um, the federal government should be held responsible for the funding of more rehabilitation centers to be put into place? I, I think that it needs to be looked at on a federal level because unfortunately with with politics and healthcare shouldn't be politicized, but it is. And when certain political affiliations don't feel that this is a disease or that it doesn't affect them and they shouldn't have to pay for it, a lot of people suffer. Okay. And with more federal funding, obviously becomes it's it's regulated federally too. So you're not just having these clinics that aren't being regulated or being watched and real data, clinical data is being reported, you know, to the CDC, to, you know, DPH. And that's how with quality assurance, that's how we get better. That's how we treat better. Yes. Yes. Um, so do you believe that the government should be fully responsible to pay for the patient's treatment, such as, um, 12 step programs, inpatient programs, detoxing their medications, like you've mentioned? I do. I absolutely do. I, I don't, I mean, when we look at other diseases and other things that, you know, Medicare and Medicaid pay for that we don't even think about, you know, inpatient stays and medications and things that are cardiac related and neuro related, there's never a question, oh, we should cover that. Right. Why is it different with addiction? Okay. Um, and do you believe that opioids are better being regulated through healthcare systems with the use of electronic prescriptions? I do. I mean, Connecticut has the CTPMP, which is, you know, a statewide, I, I want to say it's regional. I, I think it covers multiple states, but I know we have it in the ER and it's an online database system where we can go in and we can look and look up a patient's name. We can see every medication that they've been prescribed every prescriber and where and when they picked it up and how often they should be getting it. But that's not to say that people shouldn't have their pain treated. And I think we're failing in that sense that, well, you know, we as a society and pharmaceutical companies have created a lot of this, obviously opiate pandemic. Stigma. We're now not treating people who have chronic pain and who are in acute pain and coming into the emergency department. We're offering Tylenol and, and Motrin and that's, not necessarily the right care either right because pain is, pain is subjective and who am i to tell somebody that they're not experiencing 10 out of 10 pain right you know it, it's rare that and i statistics are different but most people aren't coming into the emergency department and they're not going to get addicted because we give them two milligrams of dilaudid right or morphine you know it's an acute situation while i agree that we shouldn't be prescribing long-term narcotics for people who you know don't need them mm -hmm. where prior we were giving oxy and percocet when people had tooth pain and back pain and any kind of pain and that i think pain management clinics are trying to do a good job with managing people's you know chronic pain but we're, we're so behind in that that it's going to take decades i think to catch up i don't disagree um now obviously you're a citizen of connecticut you practice and you work out of connecticut and this capstone project is in fact based on the um, city of Baltimore, Maryland. They actually have the highest opioid um, opiate mortality rate to date. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, those statistics date back to 2018 as the most current overdose rates. But um, what do you suppose that we can do as citizens to help with this issue in stopping the mortality rate? I think that getting Narcan 
into the hands of everyone who suffers from this into school systems into you know public buildings and training people you know i was talking about this with my daughter the other day about you know being able to recognize an overdose Mm -hmm. and being able to know how to use narcan it's so simple it's very inexpensive and it should be everywhere and it's not unfortunately because you know there's still such a stigma attached to it and you know there's only so much we can do with spreading awareness and things that happen we we can't stop people's trauma and mental health diagnoses so it's being proactive instead of reactive in that sense okay and our final question is what are your own recommendations as a healthcare provider to improve the services for opioid misuse? I think you kind of summed that up in your previous question. (laughs) Yeah, it's a a hard question. It really is because substance use is is so multifaceted. And it's not just, well, we ate terrible, you know, for 10 years, and this is why we have, you know, cardiac disease. It, It stems from so much with mental health and those like neuroreceptors that we aren't able to tell if somebody really is, you know, is going to going to be a candidate to suffer from this. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I think still there's still such a stigma attached to it. And the same thing with mental health. It's the first things that we cut from state and federal budgets. When, you know, most people, I think it's like one in four know somebody that suffers with this. Yes. And we've come, you know, far with, with alcohol, but I think it's because, you know, society accepts that as such a norm Yeah. where people still have that thought, well, you know, they're just a junkie and, you know, they made poor choices and it's not as simple as that at all. And I, I can't tell you the amount of patients I've had over the last 15 years that I'm like meeting their families and I'm like, how, like, how did this happen? Yeah, you, good, you know, you had good parents, you have an education, and that's what we really started. And I hate to say that because it, it really showed, I think, sadly, like the white privilege of that, mm-hmm. that once it started affecting this certain demographic where it has always affected marginalized communities, and it wasn't such a nationwide epidemic. And I, I think that term is really just honestly incorrect, because mm-hmm. um, it's always been, it's just now affecting you know, this raise at a, at a higher rate. Okay. Now, do you believe that we can improve the services by having harm reduction centers that can help with clean needle exchanges, places for these? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the data is there and showing, like, so we have a safe syringe program at the agency that I work for. And as much as people hate to say that, you know, this doesn't help people, it, it does. And statistics show, I think Ohio does it. And the way that they, because they have a really bad heroin um, use out there. And having these programs, people are more apt to seek out help because they're not feeling judged. They don't feel like they're going to get arrested. There's not going to be criminal charges because they're being safe with their use. They feel that their detox centers are more effective because obviously there's more of them. And there's, there's just less of a stigma attached. If you don't have that, and you feel like you can't even be who you are with your provider, it's never going to work. Right. Okay. Well, that is a phenomenal interview. I thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Very, very helpful. A, a big deal to me. <laughs> yes, it is to myself too. So yeah. 
Um, well, thank you for being here, and I'm sure our viewers enjoyed your interview and your answers and responses. I know I did. Um, it's always nice to hear more information from, you know, another educated person that has the same feelings about the same topic. So, um, again, I really thank you. No, absolutely. I appreciate you for even doing this. Yes. All right. Well, that's it for today. Thank you all for viewing the podcast and we'll be back tomorrow.